Amen. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? Got a couple nods out there. Wonderful. Did you just tell me wonderful, Stephanie? Great. Okay. I thought I heard you say wonderful. I was like, hey, way to go. That's all right. Well, it's good to see everybody. I'm thankful that you're here. Thankful again that you're with us. Thankful for the opportunity to worship together. Uh, Just to go ahead and let you know, we're going to be in Ephesians this morning, Ephesians chapter 2, to be exact. Uh, Still walking through our series that we've called Identity, where we have been really talking about the marks of a healthy church. And again, these are not marks for us as a faith family to evaluate how are we doing as a church, but more as a faith family to say, hey, here, these are distinguishing marks that should be representative within our lives, and therefore when they are representative within our lives, we then see them play out in the collective body of believers which makes up the church. Now, uh, again, I want to tell you that each week is going to build off of the last. So if you've missed any of the past two or even three weeks, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to any of those messages that you've already missed before, go ahead and get caught up on them. That is, no, that is not a shameless plug. No, there is no kickback coming to me or anything like that. It's just more of if you want to kind of understand where we're at and where we're heading, uh, make sure you go back and listen to those messages. Now, if I could to quickly recap for you and kind of let you know where we've been. Uh, recently, in the past couple of weeks, we've talked about uh, several of the healthy marks, or excuse me, several of the marks of a healthy church. And we began with talking about the importance of the preached word and how the preached word should be central to who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. From there, we talked about uh, gospel doctrine and how as believers in Christ, it is important for us to have a healthy understanding of the gospel and what it truly means to know the gospel and share the gospel. And this week, we're going to take that one step further again and spend some time talking in the word about conversion and specifically evangelism, because the reality is both conversion and evangelism actually go hand in hand. Now, if I could, I just want to go ahead and define some terms to make sure we're all on the same page as we move forward this morning. So let's start with the first one, and that is the word conversion. So what is conversion? Conversion is turning from sinning to repenting of our sins and turning from trusting in ourselves to trusting in Jesus Christ alone to reconcile us to God. You see, true conversion occurs when our hearts are replaced, our minds are transformed, and our spirit is then given a new life. And the reality is, if I could add any statement to that, it would be this, that none of us can do this or none of this can be done on our own. We need God to work in us in order to convert us. Now I want to go ahead and tell you, I can think of no greater illustration or no greater story that really helps unpack the meaning of God truly doing the work than a story that is often told about uh, one of our great founding fathers and theologians, Spurgeon himself. You see, there's this story of Spurgeon walking through the streets of London when he encountered a man who clearly was drunk. And this man walked up to Spurgeon, leaned up against a wall or a post, depending on the version of the story you read. But either way, the man is quoted as saying, Mr. Spurgeon, I am one of your converts. To which Spurgeon quickly and so aptly responded by saying, You must be one of mine, because you certainly are not one of the Lord's. You see, when conversion has taken place, like Paul will speak of in Ephesians chapter 2, also like what James notes later in the New Testament, there is a clear 
change that occurs in someone's life that is then evidenced by the fruit that now comes from their life. So more on that in a moment. Now, the follow-up question I think we need to ask in defining conversion is how as Christians do we practice conversion? Because you see, conversion is not something that happens on our own accord. We are not the ones who do the work. Rather, it is Christ who does the works. And so I think the best way to understand this is we need to recognize that when we practice conversion, this conversion occurs when we as Christians evangelize, or better yet, when we as Christians share the gospel with someone who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In fact, I love the way that Mark Dever says it. He says evangelism is when one person tells another person about the good news of how he or she can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now again, these are all basic things that as believers in Christ we should know today. And so now I think this leads us to our third question, which is why is evangelism so important? Or better yet, why should evangelism be so important for the believer? Well, the answer is found simply in scriptures again, because God is the one who has ultimately called us to him, and it is God who has now called us to make him known. You see, the Word of God tells us this repeatedly. Therefore, evangelism is not just a call for some of the Christians in the room, but rather evangelism is a call to all Christians in the room. You see, our call is to make Christ known. Or better yet, according to Matthew chapter 28, to make disciples of all nations. Now, if that's something you can't remember, then let me encourage you when you pull out of the parking lot, before you get out on the road on Lumsden, notice the blue signs on your way out the door. They give you that specific command and call as given to us by Matthew chapter 28. But now, sadly, many churches and even many Christians have abandoned the call to share the gospel. Many have abandoned the call to to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, many Christians today are even afraid to talk to someone about Jesus for fear of what that person may think, for fear of what that person may say, or for fear of what that person may ask them in follow-up that they may not have the answer to. In fact, recently a study was done, and the question was asked of the people in the study, what is your number one fear? And wouldn't you know... People's number one fear was public speaking. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have no idea what they're talking about. Their second fear was dying. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because this study wasn't just a study done for for non-Christians. This was a study done amongst Christians as well. You see, for the Christian, what we're saying in this study is that we'd rather be the one in the box than the one telling people about the good news that leads to a life that overcomes death. You see, as Christians, there is a clear call to evangelize. There is a clear call to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do this morning is get into the Word and answer the following question. Why, as Christians, should we evangelize? Well, Paul answers that very question when he speaks and writes to the church at Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Now again, 
This is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. And once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we have just to spend a few moments in your word. God, I pray that by your grace, Father, by your grace, help us to see your truth. By your grace, help us to see the, the call that you've placed upon our life. By your grace, Help us to see that you are the one who is doing the work. So, Father, we pray that you would, in these next few moments, soften our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to your word. And, God, as we worship you through the study of your word, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, again, if I could, to set the example for, to set the tone for you and the scene for you, again, this is a letter clearly coming from Paul, written to the Christians in the church at Ephesus. Now, about the time of this writing, Paul was probably imprisoned in Rome sometime around AD 62, which if you're a historian doing the timeline, this is probably a couple years before Paul's execution. And so what ends up happening is Paul, under house arrest, uh, still sitting there with that guard, remember we talked about that many weeks ago, uh, is getting reports. He's getting word from the churches and how they're doing. And I imagine by this point, Paul has received word and support from the church at Ephesus, and he's beginning to hear of the divisions that are now occurring within the church internally. In fact, he, he writes about this throughout his letter to Ephesians. And ultimately, what Paul does is he writes a letter back to the Ephesians about how it is Jesus Christ who has now reconciled all things back to himself. 
And because of what Jesus Christ has done, it is now Paul writing to them about how it is Jesus Christ who has not only uh, called and reconciled all things back to himself, but now has united all of mankind back to himself and therefore united all of mankind, all of those who believe in Christ, through the local church. So when you read Ephesians in its entirety, you're clearly going to see that it's filled with a lot of hard teachings and hard lessons from Paul. But each of these lessons point the people back to who Jesus Christ is. You see, in Ephesians, Paul points the church back to Christ. But not only does he point the church back to Christ, he then answers the question for the local church, why as Christians should we evangelize? He begins with his first point, which is found in verses 1 through 3. We learn quickly that without evangelism, we were dead. Now hopefully, over the past couple weeks, I hope you're now beginning to pick up on a theme of the horrific effects that sin can have on our life and how being separated from God can lead to horrific effects to us as mankind. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, in the first three verses, Paul gives us more of that story. Now before we jump into it, I want us to quickly note something about these ten verses. You see, I want you to see that in the midst of Paul's teaching, Paul reminds the believers that salvation is a consequence of God's sovereign plan and is not a result of any of our own personal achievements. Now, looking at verse 1 and 2, Paul says that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You see, here Paul reminds all Christians that before we were converted, before the gospel was shared with us, before evangelism, we were in a state of spiritual death. And we weren't just simply in a state of spiritual death, but we did not desire the things of God. We followed after our own selfish ways. We lived by our own selfish rules apart from God. And we followed the ways of the world. Now again, this is important to note because many people, when sharing the gospel, when, when, when teaching evangelism or sharing evangelism, they'll often use the story of the illustration that when you look at people who were lost in their sin, you need to see them as people who were floating in the water and they simply need the life raft or the lifesaver that is provided by Jesus Christ. But the problem is in the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that illustration is wrong. You see, we weren't floating in the water looking for help. We weren't struggling with the waves hoping that we wouldn't drown. Rather, when Christ found us, he found us dead at the bottom of the ocean. There was no life in us and there was nothing but decay all around us. You see, before the gospel was shared with us, before the good news, and I want you to, I want you to think back for a moment, you guys who are in the room that are believers, think of, of, of who that was that shared the good news with you. Think, of, think for a moment of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
But think of that time before it as well. Because you see, before Christ, we lacked holiness. Before Christ, we lived a life incapable of having a relationship with the one true, holy, and living God. And as if that weren't enough, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul continues. He says that we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see, like the world, a world separated from Christ, a world apart from Christ, we adopted, we lived, and we walked in the ways of the world, which is in direct contrast to the ways of God according to the word of God. So think about this for a moment according to Paul. We weren't just simply in sin at this point. No, what Paul is talking about is we, before Christ, were living and walking and practicing a path that would ultimately lead to our own destruction. What we were doing before Christ could best be defined as complete insanity which defined means doing the same thing again and again and again and yet expecting different results now Paul in this moment says no church listen to me what you were doing was leading a life and working a path that was leading to your own demise and leading to your own destruction In fact, in verse 3, Paul writes, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now notice what Paul has just given us here. Paul has given us what can best be described as the universal condition of fallen man. People apart from God, separated from God, from God will continue to indulge their sinful desires. You see, when you read these words, these first three verses, Paul's problem with sinners is this. It's not the, it's not the sinners themselves. But rather, his problem with them is this, is that those who are in sin have no desire for God. You see, Paul has has seen and he's heard that the desire of the man's heart only leads to continuous wickedness that leads man further and further away from God, which is exactly what sin does in our life. Now let me unpack what I'm talking about for a minute. Paul, by his own words, is telling us That we ourselves, before Christ, before the gospel was shared with us, we ourselves were once so enamored with our sin in our natural state of life that we would have never had a positive desire for Jesus Christ on our own. Why? Because we were completely and totally dead in our sin. In fact, this is why Jesus said in in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Jesus just said? Even Jesus teaches us that we are completely 
helpless in our condition apart from the loving grace of God. But notice Paul's not done. Come back to Ephesians 2 with me. Paul continues. He says, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, Paul now gives us what can more aptly be said is the fallen character of man. Paul tells the church, he tells believers, he's telling us today that, listen, before Christ, before the gospel was shared with you, you were born fallen. You were born sinners. You were born opposed to God. Thus, as sinners, this is why we deserve the full wrath of God. You see, because of the fall of man, we are now born into sin and thus born apart from the saving grace of God. You see, without evangelism, without the good news, without the gospel, without someone sharing with us the good news of Jesus Christ, then this sin-sick state is who we are. And death, apart from God, separated from God, is what we are destined for. You see, that is life without evangelism. That is life without the gospel. Now, yes, clearly God can move in the life of each and every person, but at the same time, we as Christians have a responsibility to evangelize and to make the gospel known because we realize that before the good news of Jesus Christ, we were dead. But notice Paul's not done here. Paul goes on into verse 4 through 7. And he teaches us that, man, with evangelism, we were made alive. Now catch this, verses 1 through 3, without evangelism, we were dead. Verses 4 through 7, with evangelism, we are now made alive. Man, here comes my favorite conjunction in the Bible, a simple word that reminds us of something better that we are now a part of, and it's the word but. Okay? I'm not a big fan of underlining conjunctions in the Bible. Here's a good one. Highlight it, mark it in red, circle it, highlight it in yellow, and then blue. That makes green, by the way. My kids are teaching me as much as I'm teaching them. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is an important conjunction to know, okay? That's the point. You see, this word used in the Bible reminds us of how because of the good news, we are now made alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me. Paul writes, but God, I'd underline this next phrase too. This is great. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with which he loved us. I'd underline that as well. Uh, who am I kidding? This whole thing is underlined in my Bible. Not this one because I can't underline in a straight line and I wouldn't be able to read it. But anyway. In my study Bible at home. Here we go. Let's keep going. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, let's go, Christian. That's the greatest thing in the world. Look, we don't need some sort of combine like NFL players do in order to prove how good we are. We have Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's telling us. 
I mean, here is the main theme of the gospel. Grace. God's grace. Grace that has brought us life came and found us at the time that we were completely dead to our sins and our trespasses. And so Paul answers the question, why are you a Christian? Because your sin led you to a debt that you could not pay, and it was God who paid that debt on your behalf. I mean, how good is God? I mean, just think about this for a moment, okay? A lot of times I, I hear people, I've heard evangelists even share this sort of story when it comes to evangelism. They say things like this, if you simply reach out to God, God will reach back to you. I've even heard televangelists say, if you put your hand on the screen, then the Lord will save you. How is that possible? Like, what if my TV's not in HD? How do I know if God's going to see that? Like, that's one of the first things I want to know. What if the TV's, you got one of them fancy curved ones? How does that work? My hand doesn't do that. But that seems to be a popular theory amongst evangelism. But let me, let me refute that, if I could, with a simple story from the Gospels. You see, this is the story of Lazarus. Do you remember that story? Okay, let's put ourselves in that story, and let's just follow this train of thought for a second. You see, the story of Lazarus, if that was us, if we believed that it was all about us doing our part and then we come to faith in Christ, that'd be like us going to the tomb where Lazarus is dead and saying, hey, Laz. I mean, let's be honest. We're not calling him Lazarus because we think we're good friends with him, so we call him Laz. Okay, that's really why he does it. Chances are he probably doesn't like that name in the same way. My name's Johnny, but a lot of people call me John. My name's Johnny. Okay, my dad's John. If I hear John, I think my dad's behind me. That scares me just a little bit, okay? So we're at the tomb and we say, hey, Laz, Jesus is here. You need to get up. Jesus can help you. All you need to do is reach out to him and Laz, he can save you. Laz, listen to me. You make the first move and Jesus will take it from there. Guys, I want to tell you something. That is poor evangelism. That is not the message of the gospel. Listen to the gospel. Okay, here's what the word of God says happened at that story. Jesus went to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And we know the rest of the story. But I want you to pay attention to something. Because the rest of the story tells us that Lazarus responded and he walked out of the tomb. Now think about that for a moment. Think about how important that message is and the power of the words of Jesus Christ. Because you see, Lazarus was dead in his tomb. He had been dead for days, okay? He wasn't nearly dead, partially dead. Brother was dead. And then Jesus speaks. And notice what happens. Jesus gave Lazarus ears to hear. Lazarus, who was dead, all of a sudden is given by the grace of God strength to move. He is given breath to breathe. He is given life. And then what happens? And then Lazarus walks. He responds. 
Now, what's the point? The point is this. When it comes to evangelism, it's Jesus Christ who does all the work. We are simply messengers. We are only the messengers. Don't confuse this. If you hear people come to you and say, hey, this person comes to church because of me, or this person goes to our church because of me, walk away from that person because that's not true. The reason why they come is because Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the one who has changed their life. If someone says, I came to faith because of this evangelist, I came to faith because of this person, and I give them all credit and all praise, absolutely not. That person may have been the messenger of the good news, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is the one who has done the work. So now knowing all that, can I just encourage you for a moment? You see, we're messengers of the gospel. We are messengers of the good news. We, we see and acknowledge that Jesus is the one who does all the work. It is Jesus who is the one who brings dead people to life. So can I encourage you with a simple word? When you're sharing the gospel with someone, whether it's your coworkers or a classmate or friends or neighbors, family, you know, because... Because the reality is God has you here for a reason. If you're sharing the good news with someone and, and they say no, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. You see, I want you to think about our story again for a moment. You see, with the good news, with the gospel, by the grace of God, we are made alive in Christ. Lazarus came back to life because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we as followers of Jesus, we as believers in Jesus, we can now say that we are saved by grace and grace alone. We are not saved by any of our own merit. We're not saved by any of our own good works or our good looks or any award that we have ever won. Now, Paul teaches this lesson to the church, and he believes it to be an important one because as Christians who have been made alive by Jesus Christ, hear me on this, we should never judge someone based on their merit or based on their lack of works. Rather, we should see people as Christ saw us. We were sinners, and we are sinners, but we are sinners who have been redeemed by the grace of God. You see, this is the central truth of Paul's theology. We are redeemed by grace alone. In fact, in verse 6 and 7, Paul's going to continue. He says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
You see, Paul reminds the church that Jesus is the one who is now seated upon the throne. It is Jesus who is now the one who has dominion over all things. And, um, and because all things were created by him. And now, as followers of Christ, as sons and daughters of the Most High King, as heirs to the kingdom, according to Romans chapter 8, we have also been given dominion over the world. Meaning this. As Christians, we have been given the keys to the kingdom. We know, by God's grace, according to the word, how we can overcome. We have a message of how others can overcome. And we have now been handed the victory over death, which is found in our relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, with evangelism, we can now see that we were made alive in Christ, by Christ. But not just simply made alive, but we now have a hope and a victory because of the richness of his mercy and the new life that we now have in him. This leads Paul to his third point Again, we have seen that without evangelism, we were dead. With evangelism, we were made alive. But notice the third thing he teaches in verses 8 through 10. We learn that because of evangelism, we now have a purpose. Look with me in verse 8. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Notice what Paul's saying here, if we could paraphrase. He's saying, look, church, you received grace not because you deserved it. You didn't earn it. God did not extend his grace to you out of obligation, but rather grace by faith alone is what you have been given, and it has been given as a gift from God. Notice that faith is not an expression of human achievement, nor is faith an expression of human effort or ability. Faith is not an award that we won on our own accord. In fact, Paul tells us as much in verse 9 when he says, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Notice that Paul is now shutting down the controversy of how someone can earn salvation. He says to the church, listen, you can't earn salvation on your own. You can't earn salvation based on your merit. You can't earn salvation based on your achievements or your awards. It was given to you. If I could, to paraphrase Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says it this way, no one will be declared righteous in the sight of God by observing the law. You see, the law itself points us to our need for a Savior. And praise be to God that he sent Jesus Christ, our Lord, to fulfill what we couldn't do according to the law. This is why Augustus Toplady, the hymn writer, in in Rock of Ages could sing, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You see, as Christians, we need to know and remember that the only merit that can get us into heaven is the merit we have in the finished work of Christ Jesus, our Lord. He alone is the one who has done the work. We did not. 
Now, before we move on from works, notice verse 10. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Now, again, notice Paul is talking about works here, but he's talking about them in the sense, again, that we cannot earn our uh, heaven ourselves. Now, this is important because there are several scholars out there that have argued that now Paul is standing in direct contrast with the teaching of James about works. In fact, many scholars who claim to be religious scholars use this argument to show how the Bible now contradicts itself. But the reality is that's not true. In fact, I'm confident that if Paul were in a conversation talking about salvation that comes through grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the word alone, for the glory of God alone, I'm quite confident that Paul and James would high-five one another and they would agree that we are now justified to the works. Meaning this, our works are a result of the faith that has been given to us by God through the grace that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Thus, why we as Christians can now ask the question, where's the fruit? You see, the fruit should be seen not to earn salvation, but the fruit should be seen because of salvation, because of the faith that we now have in Jesus Christ. And here, Paul leaves the church with their purpose. He tells the church, you are to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You are to be servants of God, continuing the mission of God, and you are to be a people of obedience who live lives seeking to grow in godliness and righteousness. You see, evangelism shows us, it leads us to a purpose, a purpose of faithful sharing, a purpose of faithful living and growing in a faith that is now ours in Christ Jesus. So can we be a people of the gospel? Can we be a people who faithfully evangelize, who faithfully share the good news? We don't have to wait to go all over the world to do that. God has us here for a reason. And it's not to just sit and talk about sharing the gospel. It's to go and share with where the Lord has us. You see, as Christians, we need to have a healthy view of conversion. What it means to come to faith in Christ. But with that, we need to have a healthy view of evangelism as well. The call to go and make disciples amongst the nations, which includes the people all around us. You see, the way we do this is by realizing that without evangelism, man, we were dead. We were completely dead. I mean, think about the one person who shared the gospel with you and it finally clicked. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I've got four people who shared the gospel with me before it finally clicked. 
I can name them for you. I can tell you exactly where we were when they shared the gospel. And it wasn't because the three of them failed. It's because they were faithful and the spirit of God was not working in my life in that moment. And then it took a fourth one to share it again in a way that I had never heard scripture unpacked before. And it wasn't because this man was awesome. It wasn't because this man was six foot four and all of a sudden I was looking him dead in the eyes or slightly up. It wasn't because he was just a phenomenal preacher. It's because he was a faithful messenger and the spirit of God did what the spirit of God's going to do. And that has pierced my heart and lead me to faith in Christ. You see, without evangelism, we were dead. But with evangelism, with the gospel, we have been made alive. And because of evangelism, if you're a Christian in this room, because of evangelism, you have a purpose. So if you're a Christian and you're struggling with what your purpose is, I'm telling you, Paul's telling you, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you have a purpose. And here's the beauty of it all. Paul teaches, again, that all of this was done not by our own hands, not by our own doing, but by the sovereign will of God. Faith family, we are simply messengers of the good news. We are simply the ones who are called to go out and share the good news and then to simply trust God to do the work. So if we're going to be anything, let's be a people who defend the faith, who speak the simple truth of the good news of the gospel, who go and evangelize with a world that desperately needs hope. God has prepared us for this work. So I'm telling you, it's time for us to get off the sidelines. It's time for us to get in the game and get on board with the mission that we have been called to by Christ. And I want to encourage you with one final word. In the midst of your own evangelism, if you run into questions you can't answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. If you run into hard conversations that you don't know where to go, if you find yourself in a moment where you simply run out of answers with the person that you're talking to, then hear the encouragement from John Calvin this morning. He said that when we come to the end of our knowledge, we should not turn away from Scripture, but rather affirm our humanity and in humility sing the doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Faith family, let's be faithful. Let's be bold. And as Paul shares, let's do the work of an evangelist, the call that has been given to us by the grace of God. Let's pray together.